Well, last week we, we learned how God did a miraculous thing. We, we talked about the story of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, uh, how they called out to Jesus and asked him to come and, and to heal their brother. And what we recognized in that was what they asked for, for him to uh, cure their brother of the flu did not happen. But when Jesus finally arrived after Lazarus was dead, he performed a powerful miracle that raised their dead brother back to life. And what a, what a resounding promise that that is for us that prayer and seeking God's guidance and God's power and wisdom and his presence in our lives, uh, what a, a magnificent thing that can do. But you know, sometimes we also struggle with when we pray, and what we're praying for is not what happens. And that's why we've been in this series the last couple of weeks, the series Where's God, as we've been trying to answer some of those questions about in our deepest, darkest moments and in our greatest challenges, when we don't feel that God is close or when we don't feel like God cares at all about what's happening to us, and today looking about those moments when God is uncooperative. It makes us look with reality at our own situations in life. And to say, God, we know you're powerful. God, we know you have everything at the tip of your hands, so to speak. We know you can do anything, but why is it that sometimes our prayers aren't answered? Now, my promise through this whole series has not been that, that we would answer all of your questions and, and button up all of that, because some of life is just a mystery, folks. But what we hope that through this series is that we're coming closer and that we're giving you some of the tools that you need that when you're facing some of these difficult times in your life that you can fall back to some of these stories in the Bible from where we have been. You know, one of the things that um, my wife uh, has lots of great talents and one of the things uh, every now and then that happens with her is she loses her car keys. Anybody else ever lost your car keys? Yeah, it kind of happens. I, I lose mine too. In fact, I lost my wallet when we were in Orlando, and thank goodness it got found. But sometimes we lose things. And I remember a moment when she lost her car keys, and we were really um, not happy with the fact that she had lost them. We were really upset because, you know, today with those microchips that they have in cars, it costs a lot of money to, to buy a new fob for your car, doesn't it? And so hundreds of dollars to do that. So we weren't really happy when that happened. And when that moment happened, I said to her, I said, well, why don't we just stop and why don't we pray about the situation and ask God's guidance and God's leading to find the missing keys? And she wasn't real certain that that was the right thing to do, but she said, you know what, why don't we? Because she knows the power of prayer. So I got on my knees and I began to pray, God, help us to find the keys. We don't want the keys to be lost. We don't want to be out a lot of money to replace the fob. Just, Lord, help the keys to be found. And about that moment, as I began to get up, I looked over in the corner where we have a table with one of those little cloths on it with a lamp. And there, shining through the window, was a little bit of light gleaming off of, reflecting on the key. And it was found. And we were excited about that. I remember another time when we were praying for some dear friends of ours. They called us and said, the marriage isn't going to work. We're going to get divorced. And we said, let us meet with you. Let us, we'll drive halfway. They lived in Orlando. We said, we'll drive. We'll meet you in Lakeland. We'll come to Orlando, whatever it is. We want to pray with you, and we want to make sure that, that we can help you through this difficult time of your life. So we prayed for them and prayed for them and prayed for them. We asked in the name of Jesus that their marriage would be reconciled. We asked that the pain and the challenges that they had, that God would work through all those things. And we begged God in those moments to heal that marriage only to find out that the marriage was not healed and they got a divorce. 
Now, I look back on those experiences, and I think how, how silly it was for me to get on my knees in the name of Jesus to pray to find some lost car keys, and God leads me to that. But in those moments, in those heart-wrenching prayers, praying for some dear friends that we love deeply to reconcile their marriage, and it didn't work. And it, sometimes it does place us, even me, in those moments where I say, God, you know, you have the strength, the power to do all these things. You can do whatever you want. You are in control of, of nature and all of those things. God, just make it happen. And the more I pray or the more you pray, the more we pray, it just doesn't come. It's highly likely, though, that every one of us in this room have gone through those moments where we've prayed about things, haven't we? we prayed about God to, to come and to do something in our life. we prayed for that special parking place close to the mall in the Christmas season. And it opens up miraculously. There it is. It must be God's will that I shop at Macy's today. <laughs> and then we also pray about our cancer and our health issues. And yet nothing seems to happen with that. So we're unreconciled. We're not really sure. God, I believe you can do this. I know you can do this. But why are you choosing not to? So what do you do when God is uncooperative? What do you do in those moments when you think God just doesn't care? We find ourselves sinning through our minds. I'm a disciple of Christ. I've been baptized. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love God. I come to church. I, I support God's ministries and mission. I give myself as a servant, and yet in the midst of all those things, I just feel like my prayer isn't being answered. Well, let me start with this. True prayer isn't about having it our way. True prayer is about surrendering our will. It's not about always getting what we want, but when we pray, it's really more about drawing closer to God by surrendering our will to him. It's not what I want, Lord, but what, what it is that you will have for me or, or how you will work with me through this situation. It's not about coercing God to, to do what we want. It's not about asking God to be a celestial vending machine to have a payout for us in the moment of our greatest need. But prayer is about acknowledging God's presence but surrendering our will. You know, Jesus was a great model of this. If we recall the story, before he was arrested, he was in Gethsemane with his disciples he took Peter, James, and John into an inner place, left the rest. He said, don't sleep. And it's in those moments that Jesus found himself upon that rock, and he began to feel the anguish of what sin was going to do to his human body, the sins of the world placed upon his shoulders. And he began to feel the pain and the weightiness of that. And Jesus prayed, Lord, if you're willing, lift this cup from me. In translation, God, I don't want to do this. This is too painful. It's not what I want. But then Jesus taught us to say, but whatever it is that you want, Lord, whatever your will is, thy will be done in my life, so to speak. It's not about what we want, but it's about what God is willing to do and wants to do in our life. If there was anyone in history who was ever deserving to have his prayers answered, in my opinion, it was the Apostle Paul. Paul was a villain. He was a villain to, to, toward Jesus. He was a villain toward the Christian movement. In fact, in his days, uh, the followers of Jesus were not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. And Paul was moving out, and he was coercing and killing believers and followers of the way. He was its greatest enemy. He incited the crowds to come and to stone and to kill Stephen, the apostle, who became the first Christian martyr. And Paul was not a good guy at all. 
But yet Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus. It was in that experience, a vision, the scripture tells us in Acts, that Paul comes face to face with the risen Lord. And Jesus says to him, why are you doing this to me? Why are you leading such a movement against me? And we see through that conversion experience, Saul, Paul, becomes one of the greatest preachers in Christianity. In fact, he's responsible for writing over two-thirds of the New Testament. He planted churches. He traveled by ship. He traveled by foot. And everywhere that he went, he was making sure that the movement of God was moving forward, that people now knew who Jesus Christ was, that God through Christ was no longer the enemy. But Paul was sold on the fact that Jesus truly is the way. If anyone deserved to have his prayers answered, it was that guy right there, Paul. He had visions, and God used him in powerful ways, but yet he paid a great price for his loyalty to the faith. That doesn't make sense. If I'm doing what God wants, shouldn't my life just be without problem and, and issue? Shouldn't it just be all happiness? But Paul saw, even serving God, he was stoned, in prison, beaten, shipwrecked, and yet he remained faithful through all of those things in his earthly life. He writes this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down, and what he in fact did was push me to my knees. So what Satan had done, God had allowed. God said, I see that through what Satan is going to do to my servant, that I'm going to win this, and that he is going to become a greater person because of what is happening in his life. No danger of then walking around high and mighty. The NIV translates the word handicap to thorn, or more specifically in Greek, it means stake. There's a stake a pain, something going on. Scholars have debated, what's this handicap, what's this thorn that Paul had in his life? Some say that, that maybe he was an epileptic and had epileptic seizures. Others said that, that he had migraine headaches. Others said it was physical things that were going wrong in Paul's life. We really don't know. In fact, what the scripture tells us in one sense is Paul is writing larger in his letters. His letters are larger as he's sending it out to the churches because he said that his sight is beginning to fail him. We don't know exactly what this handicap was. We don't know what this thorn was in Paul's life, but Paul realized that because he had that, it had a purpose. And the purpose he communicates to us is that it helped him to no longer be conceited because he had a big head. He boasted about his lineage as a Pharisee, and he told everyone back in those days how great he was, and yet he had this affliction, a thorn in his flesh to torment him. You see, we need to remember that praying to God for something can't just be to have it our way. But we also need to understand that through that, that if we surrender ourselves obediently to God, that something will come out of the concern that is happening in our life. Prayer also reminds us of this. It reminds us that we're not in control. So we're not in control of things, so prayer reminds us that we're not in control, but what does prayer do? It draws us closer to the one who is in control. So when you and I pray, it's not so that things will work out exactly as we've asked, but that we draw into the presence of the one who is and was and is to come. 
So we draw into the presence of God. It reminds us that we cannot control everything. We can't dictate. We can't control every movement in our life. We can't control every event. But if we pray, we can draw closer to the heart of God. I struggle with this. I like to control some things in my life. You like to control, control things in your life. None of us prays for affliction. None of us prays for pain. None of us prays for, for tragedy. We want to control life so that we can make decisions that exempt us from those things. Are you with me? And so what we find out, though, is as much as we try to control life and its circumstances and all that, we just can't control everything because life happens, folks. Say that. Life happens. It happens to all of us. And sometimes some of us are like, man, if this is as good as life is going to get, I, I wish it would get a little bit better because it's so hard sometimes. But Paul writes, at first, I didn't think of it as a gift. He didn't think of this handicap. He didn't think of this affliction as a gift. And he begged God to remove it. And he says, three times I begged, God, remove this affliction, remove this thorn, remove this handicap, remove this sickness, remove this depression, remove whatever this is that I'm afflicted with. Get it out of me, Lord. And he says three times. Now, when we read this, we have to understand that this wasn't like, Lord, remove it, that's one. Lord, remove it, that's two. Lord, remove it, that's three. He's praying through seasons of life. So through three seasons of Paul's life, we're not sure how long that season was, but through three seasons of his life, it could have been in groups of years, one season, groups of another years, another season. He prayed through three seasons of life. He said, I'm begging you, God. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading. I'm seeking you. Rid me of this thorn. Some of us in this room are living that right now, aren't we? We're begging God to remove the thorn. We're begging God to take away the handicap. God, take the bullies out of my child's life. God, please, I'm willing to work. I need a job. Take away the, the obstacles that come from that. God, I need, I need. I'm pleading, I'm pleading. And we're praying and we're praying and we're praying, just like Paul was praying and praying and praying. Paul says, God, I seek you. I'm pleading with you. God, please take away what I ask. I've seen you do this for others. I know you can do this. When I read Paul's story, what comes to my mind is I want to say, you know what, if I was the guy in charge, I'd have answered his prayer. Because he, he loved God. He served God. He worshiped God. He worked hard to make God's kingdom's purpose become a reality. He was converting people for the faith. He was helping people that, that needed help. If anybody deserved his prayers to be answered, it was Paul. And yet through all of this, I would have said, yes, yes, I'll give you whatever you want. Just if you want that to go, you can have it because you deserve it. So Paul pleads with God, and what does God say? Listen, my grace is enough. It's all you need. He doesn't say, I'm going to take away your affliction. He doesn't say, I'm going to take away your handicap. He doesn't even say, I'm going to make your life any better. He says, my grace is sufficient. That's all you need. My strength comes into its own through your weakness. So out of our weakness, God is strong. And Paul comes to realize this. Paul says, but God, take this out of my life. Get rid of it. I don't want it. And God says, no. 
My grace is, is enough. My grace is sufficient. That's all you need. Well, what is grace? You know, we, we think about grace about, you know, grace is what forgives us of our sins. Yes, it is. But grace also has another meaning. Grace also reminds us about uh, the favor of God. And it comes from the Greek, charis. And, and what we see from that is, is that, that God is moving in a powerful way to, to shower us with his favor. And we see in the significance of that, that that grace is the favor of God. One scholar wrote it this way. What is grace? It's when God freely extends himself, leaning and reaching to us, Think about that. God is leaning and reaching to you. He loves you, so he's leaning and reaching to you in the midst of what you're going through to, to because he is disposed to bless and be near to us. God, God's purpose is to draw closer to us. God's desire is to love us, is to be near us. So he's reaching into us. He's showering us with his grace. You're going through a challenge. He is leaning into you, and he is reminding you, I am here. And that's the peace that we've got to hold on to. Grace is leaning, the leaning into of God. That when I'm challenged in life, am I leaning and am I, am I realizing God is leaning into me? But we tend to say, God, this is what I need. God, this is what I want. And sometimes God looks at us and what we ask and how we ask. And he says, no, that's not what you want. I'm what you want. No, that's not what you need. I'm what you need. So sometimes it's not the it, but the whom. And that's the peace that we struggle with. And yet, that's the truth of what God seeks in us. Think of those moments when you, when you have something happen in your life and you have no idea why in the world it happened. How did you, how'd you get through that horrible divorce? I don't know, but it was by the grace of God. You walked away from that car accident with only a broken leg and the car was totaled and they had to use the jaws of life. How'd that happen? I don't know, but it's by the grace of God. You lost your job, but yet you seem to still have joy in your life. How are you doing that? I don't know, but it's by the grace of God. Two weeks ago, I, I told you the story about how Patty and I foolishly, uh, way back years ago, over 20 years ago, put everything that we had into bricks and mortar of a house, built a dream home, everything that we had, all of our cash, everything, Remember I told you that the struggle was that we went off to seminary and the deal fell through and we ended up losing the house? Guys, to say that we were insolvent in that time would probably be the understatement of the world. We lost everything. And there we were, you know, at, at, at serving in churches and, and, and answering a call to ministry and yet couldn't understand why in the world God didn't answer that prayer to just to sell the house. And we began to struggle with that. Now, I remember that there was a year that uh, right shortly in that time frame that I came down with pneumonia in the Christmas season. Now, it's pretty bad when you get pneumonia, but when you pastor churches and you can't even go to Christmas services, it's, it's pretty hard on you because you want to be there and you want to love your people. And I remember we were at a point where we're literally, we would open our cabinets in our kitchen and we had like two cans, I think it was like mushroom soup or something, nothing in the refrigerator. I got paid once a, once, a, once a month, and we had spent everything on the incoming tuition for that was coming in January, and, and it was like two or three weeks until I got paid again. We, like, we had nothing. And as parents, especially with young kids, you want to buy your kids Christmas gifts. You want to, you know, you want to help them out. We're 600 miles away from family and, and deep and dear friends at that particular time. Too proud to lift a hand to say, Mom and Dad, can you help? And here I am running a high fever in bed can't go to church with pneumonia. It's the Christmas season. 
And Patty comes home after the second service. And I knew something was strange because she backed in the carport. She never backs in the carport. Usually she hits things. But anyway, so she, she <laughs> backing into the carport. And she popped open the trunk. And it was filled with bags of groceries. And in the country, this, we were in the country church. In the country, they have something called a preacher pounding. You know, in our community, I'd probably think that was something different, you know. But there, what it meant was you gave the preacher a pound of flour, a, a pound of a ham, or a pound of sugar, or whatever the case is. Our, our people in our church had no idea that we were out of food. They had no idea. We didn't tell anybody. People in our church had no idea what our need was. And yet here was, in our greatest need, a car full of groceries. How'd that happen? It's by the grace of God. And that's where Paul is recognizing these things as we, as we see from here. God wishes to give us and allow us to experience his presence as never before and to know his grace is sufficient. God says to you this morning, for reasons you may not understand, my grace is sufficient for you. And guys, we need to come to terms with that. We need to recognize that that is exactly what it is. And we need to say that even if God isn't answering our prayer the way that we've asked, we need to have the courage and the faith to say, I trust you through this because I know that you love me, that you'll see me through. Prayer isn't just asking for what we want, but trusting that God knows best. When we pray, we're told to pray in the name of Jesus. We're, we're told that in Jesus' name, all things are possible. So that's why we pray that your cancer will be removed from your body in the name of Jesus. We pray that you'll get a job in the name of Jesus. We pray that your wayward children will come home in the name of Jesus. We're taught, and James says that you have not because you've asked not. So we're called and taught to pray and to pray and to ask specifically with those things. But even in the midst of asking, we have to understand God's answer at times is no, but my grace is sufficient. That I'm giving you my grace instead. But that's all you need is to know that you're loved by me. Years later, Paul looks back on his situation and he concludes, this thing that I suffer from that God actually has used to keep me from being conceited. He writes, once I heard that my grace is enough, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap, and I began appreciating the gift. You see, now instead of saying, God, take it away, God, take it away, God, take it away, he's leaning into my grace is sufficient. So it's no longer about God taking this away. That's not his prayer anymore. But he's saying, okay, God, however this is, it was the case of Christ's strength moving in my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer in those limitations that cut me down to size. Abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Because God's grace is enough. Paul says, I delight in the hardships. What if we changed the way that we looked at life differently? Instead of, instead of being overwhelmed by the hardships in life, instead of being overcome by the hardships in life, what if we welcomed the hardships in life? And here's what I mean by that. I lost my job, but yet through that I began to trust God a little bit more. My marriage ended in divorce. But now I found out who the true love of my life is in Jesus Christ. I'm no longer weeping about the loss and death of my loved one because now I have experienced Emmanuel, God with us. 
You see, even in our greatest challenges, God's grace is enough. And his grace is what will see us through it. There's a saying that time heals all wounds. I'm not a big fan of that because I think it's just kind of uh, just something we throw out there. I believe time in the presence of God is what heals all wounds. So let me encourage you to draw closer to God. As you're struggling, as you're challenged, draw closer to the love of God and truly believe that in the midst of whatever your thorn is, that his grace is sufficient. And even if your prayer is not answered the way you say, draw close to the one who can do everything.